0: Thanks for tuning in to the latest instalment of Walking Down Hope Street, the Falkirk Fans Podcast, where each month we meet a former Bairn, chat about their career and their time in the Navy Blue. I'm your host Colin McFarlane and as always I'm joined by my co-host Lewis Hoggan. Remember you can keep up to date with all the goings on at Walking Down Hope Street on our Twitter feed at WDH Street or via our Facebook group. We're here in Glasgow tonight for episode 10 and we're catching up with one of the most decorated Falkirk players of recent years, a man with over 150 appearances for the Bairns between 1992 and 1996. During that time a First Division Championship medal and a Challenge Cup medal after Falkirk, a Scottish Cup winner's medal with Hearts, three Premier Leagues, two Scottish Cups and three League Cups with Rangers. If that wasn't enough, 69 caps for Scotland. David Weir, welcome to the show. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thanks for asking me. Before we get started, you're spending a couple of days in Largs, so tell the listeners what you're
1: up to these days. I'm actually working for Brighton. um, I've been working there for a year now. I look after the loan players, so um, we've got... Probably about 12 players out on loan so far. We've got six in the championship. There's a couple over in Germany, one in Belgium, one in Argentina, one in Ecuador. So it's it's an interesting job. It's not sort of non-league and lower leagues in England. It's it's all over the world and it's it's a good club to work for. I'm enjoying it and. Um, it's i I'm a wee bit out of my comfort zone as well, so it's it's a good experience.
0: Good, good. So let's take you back to where it all started. It's fair to say that Falkirk isn't exactly renowned for being a conveyor belt of top footballing talent. So tell us, what was it like growing up in Falkirk, and did you start with schoolboy football, boys' club football? Yeah,
1: probably similar to people my age. You know, I'm getting on towards fifty now, so you grow up, you're playing football in the street with your friends, you're playing in the park with your friends and then you get picked up by a boys club, you play for the school and then hopefully from that you hope to get attracted by a club. And I was never really assigned by a club and I was never really signed by a club until I was um, 16, 17. I was, you know, a lot of the other lads were going on S forms and I was probably never considered good enough. So I just kept playing. I was playing for Grahamston, which was a really good boys club and still, still is, still local and still playing in the leagues and stuff. And, mm. Um, we were successful involved in the Scottish Cups and playing against the, the Gairducks and all the teams that were around um, about at that time and um, just had a really good childhood playing football loved playing football my dad um, encouraged me to play football he used to take me to, to games at um, at Rangers and he'd take me to Brockville occasionally and I'd go to Brockville on my own so um, just had a real good background in football
2: growing up. So were there any particular players that you saw at Falkirk that were your, your heroes growing up at all? I don't know about my heroes, but <laughs> I, I saw a lot of players, and I would go to
1: Falkirk games on my own, I'd get the bus down Shield Hill, where I'm from, I'd get the bus to Shield Hill and just go and watch the games, and um, Kevin McAllister and Jimmy Gilmore, Crawford Baptist, Peter Houston, people like that, Peter Houston always says that to me when I when I meet him, I say he says, used to pay and come and watch me play. <laughs> but um, no, it was good times, and I just enjoy going and watching those games going and watching a game of football on a Saturday afternoon
2: You had an unorthodox route into the senior game in the late 80s you went out to Evansville in Indiana and played college football so how did that come about? I was playing for Scotland
1: schoolboys it was under 18 so you know schoolboys usually are the best players at 15, 16s then you get to 18s and it's more like the lads that are left at school that can <laughs> still play so I was one of them and we went to a tournament and was actually at Butlins and Skegness. So the Scottish under-18 schoolboys went to this tournament. And you played against all the best English county teams. So we played against Greater London, Manchester, Merseyside, and all these teams. And the American scouts were over from the universities and just identifying talent. And um, the coach identified me and another boy who was playing for Nottingham. Okay. And said would you be interested in coming to America and I was thinking about going to university but wanted to be a football player but probably wasn't good enough for either (laughs) so America just was a halfway house gave me an opportunity to go and study and play football and he he turned up at Emma House in Shield Hill on my mum's dad's doorstep about three or four days later and very quickly I was on a plane to America That must have been a ridiculous experience you know It was, it was, I mean I hadn't been abroad I'd never been on a plane you know I'd never really been out of the UK before, and then all of a sudden, you're travelling away to another world and had to get three flights to get there, and then a three hour drive, and you know, Jesus. you're going into the unknown. So, it was real, like, really getting you out of your comfort zone and mm-hmm. a real culture shock. And, um, but looking back, it was great experience and a, and a real test of character.
0: I read it was out there that you were converted from a striker to a centre half. Apparently, mm-hmm. you lacked a bit of pace up front. <laughs> is that a fair assessment?
1: That well, the story was to be honest, we we were a good team, we were. Like it was University of Evansville and they were nationally ranked and America was a good standard. You know, they're all athletic and it's very competitive and they like to win. So they were decent. And the university I went to, luckily really, cause I hadn't done any homework, was, was a good one. So we were division one and we were a good team. And on the team they had one of the highest scorers in the country, but during the season he got injured. So the, the coach was a bit like, what am I going to do next? and I was playing in the team as a freshman, which is your first year, so that's quite unusual. Really, I was playing in the team and doing quite well, but as a centre back, so we had this great idea playing me up front, which for me I'd never done it. I hadn't done it for years. So as you do as a kid, you just go for it, and I and I went for it, and I loved it. You know why would you not love it? You're a centre forward, you're scoring, scoring goals, goals, you're being involved, and and I did really well. So I played the rest of my college career as a centre forward, and we ended up getting to the final four. I was first team All-American I was top scorer in the country and it was you know I couldn't believe my luck
0: <laughs> So it was tw- 28 goals in 27 games I think that's your record
2: yes, I'm not sure but <laughs> I, I definitely
0: scored a few goals and I loved every minute of it
2: So you had four years out in the States uh, what were your reflections on the standards there and would you advise uh, young players to give it a go? I would and to be
1: honest I, c- I can't advise it any more than my son's just gone out there my oldest son's just gone out to America to do a similar thing he's gone on a scholarship just this last year every story's different and every pathway's different but it was just a great experience for me and managed as I said earlier I got out of my comfort zone went and traveled you meet people from different walks of life you um you challenge yourself and you grow up and it wasn't easy some parts of it but with hindsight it was probably the best thing I ever did and it really helped me in my life and my football career afterwards and I would recommend them to you know take up the the opportunity if they get it do your homework in terms of where you're going and the environment you're going into but it's definitely a, a, a great way of going and getting an education, which is important, and also playing a good level of sport.
2: Perfect. So then in 1992, you came back to Scotland. Uh, what was the rationale? Being honest, because there wasn't a professional league in America, really? I loved it in
1: America and I was doing well. I was scoring goals, as I said, and the team were doing well. And But at that time, there was only an indoor league in America. So this was 1992. So that's a long time ago and... Was, there was no MLS or even NASL no, it was NASL. just an indoor league and that was never going to suit me the way I I played so there wasn't really an option to go and play so I wanted to be a footballer so in order to do that I had to come back
0: Jim Jeffries told us that you wrote him a letter asking to come on fall on and trial So did you write to other clubs and were there other offers on the table well, when you my came my
1: recollection back? is slightly different <laughs> controversial <laughs> but, not, but not a lot I wrote to English clubs so I wrote to a lot of English clubs saying I'd like to come to the trial, this is my background, my wee bit of CV and stuff, and I was going to Leeds United, that was my plan. But when I was home in that summer, before I went to Leeds, um, my dad made a call and wrote a letter, I never never really knew and I still don't know what actually happened to Falkirk saying my boy's back, he's going to Leeds, but could he come and train? So my dad made the call and Jim was happy happy enough to let me come in so however it happened I, I got the opportunity to turn up at, at
0: Brockville as it was then and start training and it was you know it was a great experience for me let's check another one of Jim's stories so he said <laughs> uh, uh, even before he kicked a ball in a training session he wanted to sign you to, was that your recollection it was
1: to be fair you know he was very positive with me I mean I just went in off the street I was 22 really and I, there was a first team dressing room in a, a reserve dressing room and I was in the reserve dressing room where all the kids we were 16, 17. I loved it. I got like, my own training kit. I, had, I was number 35, we'll never forget it. So I thought I'd won the lottery. I'd, I was coming back and I was a, a football player or I thought I had a chance of being a football player. So I was in that dressing room and I was training. Um, I was playing football every day. I was interacting with some professional footballers I'd only seen in the telly before. So I thought you know, it didn't get much better than that, and very quickly Jim offered me a contract, 175 pound a week. He gave me, which was very generous, <laughs> and, but I had to sign for half of that too. Be
2: so you came into a Falkirk side that wasn't short of experience. You had the uh, John Hughes, Joe McLaughlin, Eddie May, Tommy McQueen there. How important was it for your development for uh, playing alongside guys like this? And what was that dressing room like? It was great. As I said initially, I was in the away
1: dressing room, so I was in with the kids and in with the the boys, and just enjoyed being around about young lads and talking about football and playing football and working hard and you ended up training with the first team very quickly and playing in reserve games as it was then you'd go so as the season started I was I'd play in the reserve game and I played with Peter Godfrey who I think Jim mentioned in his podcast as well so he was the other centre back it was me and Peter Godfrey who'd won Scottish Cup with St Martin Martin and and he was local and he took care of me but I only had two or three games in the reserves from memory I might be wrong going to Petodre and playing at Brockville when the first team were playing the opposite fixture and mm. um, very quickly I was in the first team but just playing with guys like that and training with guys like as you say John Hughes and Ian McCall Eddie May and Tony Parks and Tommy McQueen people like that then they're, it's great experience and things I could only dreamed of a few months before when I was playing in America
2: So would you say that Peter Godfrey
1: was probably the biggest influence on you At the start he definitely helped me but I didn't play in the reserves for that long, so I never really got that much time with him. But he was just a gentleman. He was just helpful in terms of teaching me the game and just treating me like a, an adult, you know, and treating me like a, a fellow professional, which I was kind of overawed with.
0: Coming from college football in the States, how much was a shock being exposed to places like Brockville? Um, I imagine the, the sort of surfaces in the States were like bowling greens, but uh, <laughs> yeah, and the not fans really bearing down honest, in Brockville.
1: Some of the places we used to go in America, you'd turn up with astroturf pitches with american football markings on them and you're going to places that you probably wouldn't go to otherwise so to be honest coming back here and playing at pitaudry and celtic park and brockville and tanadice and places like that 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 for me was jackpot i, I couldn't believe what i was doing you know I, I, I genuinely felt like i was living the dream i had an opportunity to be a professional footballer which when i was 22 I never thought I'd get. So I just I just wanted to enjoy it and try and grasp it and try and make the most of it.
0: And did you think the fans sort of took to you being a, a local lad?
1: I don't know. I think fans like local players. I was n- I've never really bothered. That sounds terrible, but I was never really bothered about what people thought or what the perception was. I just, I just enjoyed the play and I just always tried to give my best. And I think in general fans like local players, they like young players, although I probably wasn't as young, but I think you get maybe a wee bit of leeway more than... Yeah more than maybe somebody who spent a bit more money on us a wee bit older or maybe got allegiances to another team so I probably didn't have that baggage but um, they were always always very good with me Falkirk fans definitely
0: So most people associate your career with being a centre half but you played a lot of your time at Falkirk as a a right back did you enjoy playing out there or was that more of a a case of the the experience that we had at centre half? I'd have played anywhere you know as, as I've said in America when I was a centre back and I went to centre
1: forward I never I wasn't really picky in terms of where I played and it was the same at Falkirk. I was playing in, initially, it was the Premier League and then the league below the season after and just to be in the team, just to get a jersey, you're delighted to play anywhere and it was John Hughes and Joe McLaughlin who were the the centre-backs, Neil Oliver as well, the majority of the time. So it was a fight to get on your hands. So wherever, wherever I was picked to play, I'd be more than happy to play and um, as it happened, I ended up playing it right back and I played the vast majority of my first couple of years there.
0: So, I'd imagine in that team, guys like Yogi wouldn't have been too keen on you trying to take his jersey. No, they weren't, they, but they, there wasn't any animosity. There genuinely wasn't. I got great support, as I said. Peter Godfrey,
1: probably the first one. I was coming in young, and he's probably trying to get in the team. And Yogi's there. Joe McLaughlin came in. Neil Oliver's there. So, Neil Duffy's there. So, there's a lot of competition. Mm. And I, I genuinely never felt any bitterness or any animosity towards taking their jersey. It was. Maybe I just never saw it, or maybe I was naive, <laughs> or whatever. But I never felt that, or worried about that, it wasn't it? wasn't really my nature.
2: So the early seasons at Falkirk were quite successful. Uh, you had the First Division winners' medal, and obviously yeah. the uh, Challenge Cup winners' medal too. Uh, how do you reflect on those seasons, and do you have any particular favourite memories?
1: I have lots of good memories, and as you said, it was successful. I mean, initially, I might, but I might be wrong. But we got we got relegated in my first season, I think, That's from the right, Premier yeah. League. And there's a lot of injuries, and we, we played a lot, as you always do with Jim's team. It's always open, it's always exciting, it's always good football, and you've always got a chance of winning the games. But mm-hmm. it just seemed to, we just kind of ran out of games, and we never we had a few injuries and probably a bit of an experience for me and some other guys when they probably played at that level. So we ended up going down, and that was really disappointing. But then the next season was really exciting. It was us in Dunfermline going for the league, and mm-hmm. the last day at Clyde Bank you know, throughout my career, playing for your country, playing in derbies in Liverpool, playing derbies in Glasgow, and that game at Clyde Banks, probably the most nervous I've ever been at a game. Really? Just <laughs> probably not having the experience, but just thinking, we've got to win this game to get up. We've got to get promoted here, and we will lack experience just going into it, and, playing under a bit of pressure probably for the first time so that really sticks in my memory and my mind about probably my first experience of playing under quite a lot of pressure.
2: You are another couple of seasons at Falkirk and had the opportunity to play in the Premier League again. Uh, What were your memories of that time and who were some of the better players that you came up against? Um, Rangers were probably the best team around about then and were in the middle of their successful
1: period so you're playing against Haightleys and McCoy's and people like that and Celtic. Again, from memory, it was Cadetti and De Canio and Van Hooydonk and people like that. So there was lots of good players around. But my memory of that Falkirk team was that you felt like on any day you could you could still win those games. I can remember going to Ibrox and winning there and it was Haley and McCoy and then Ferguson came on mm-hmm. and Loudrop was playing and, and we went there and you win and I can remember beating Celtic in the cup as well and um, I think that one was at Brockville and... Just going to all these grounds and Dundee United's and Hearts and Aberdeens, all good teams and good players, but the Falkirk team of that day and age and the way Jim was, you, you you felt like he could beat anybody. You didn't have any fear or any worry about it. and on occasions you'd get well beaten, you'd get beat three or four, but mm. you'd go again the next week and you'd just go again and it was it was really enjoyable to be part of and and you genuinely didn't have any fears about getting beat by anyone or playing against anyone.
0: Was that the kind of style that Jim and Billy had that instilled that belief in that you could you could pretty much take on anyone?
1: They did. They created a good environment. The you enjoyed going to your work. You had to work hard. You know, and if you didn't work hard, then they told you about it. And if you made a mistake, <laughs> they also told you about <laughs> it. And but it was very it was very clear cut in terms of what was expected of you, what your job was, and. They were, they weren't short in and telling you if you hadn't done it and, and likewise they weren't short and telling you if you'd done well. So it was it was a great experience for me. I'd come from a college environment which was very different, and then all of a sudden you're into the, the real world where, you know, there's bonuses on livelihoods, mortgages, people are playing for 11 living, and I always remember Jim coming in before the game, and he'd rub his hands together and go, "It's big game today, lads!" And all the lads would be buzzing because he knew it was a double bonus. <laughs> so he'd come in as soon as he rubbed his hands; you knew
0: you were getting double bonus, and the guys would be bouncing off the walls just for that—that that wee bit extra. We heard uh, from other guests that Jim had a, a sort of fiery temper. Were you ever on the receiving end of it?
1: I probably was. I can't. I can't remember. <laughs> I, I generally can't remember um, anything out of the order, But I would have been, and that was just normal, though you. He expected it and you it's how you respond to that. I think nowadays football, it's almost like you're scared to do that, you're scared to tell people the truth, you're scared to tell people what's actually going on and Jim was very honest and he never held it against you, he'd, he'd criticise you in one sentence but then you, you go out and do your job or the next week or two weeks later, whenever it was, he'd, he'd praise you so I don't think you can really argue with that I think, you know, honesty and. You know where you stand. You know. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. Then you've not really got a lot to complain about. And ah, ah, you looking back now, you laugh at some of the situations. Where I mean, I saw him at Hearts and, and at Falkirk getting very upset with some players. <laughs> so I know what it's like, and it's no nice. But the outcome's usually not far away for what you want.
0: So in 1995, Jim was to depart for Hearts. Did you get a feeling that he was going to take you with him? No, and again, I
1: never really thought about it like that. I I was sad to see him go. Um, I knew he was very successful at Falkirk, and obviously we were finishing in the top half of the league, and. Um, there's was going to be people looking at him because he'd done a great job. His recruitment, you know, people are all about recruitment now and his recruitment was unbelievable. He used to rescue players from nowhere and bring them back and turn them into good players mm. and identify players who were going nowhere and bring them into the team and, and develop them. So he had all the skills that you would imagine a lot of other clubs coveted, but I, I never really thought about it like that. But looking now, his boyhood club, the club he played for, the club he supported and they needed somebody like him, then why would they not go? You know, Falkert were punching above their weight. They were at a level that probably couldn't sustain for too much longer without a lot of investment and with common sense you would you would expect them to
0: go. Mm. So Jim came in for a bit of criticism about how his move to Hearts came about. Did you get any sort of similar reaction? Falkert fans disappointed that you, you had left as well? I, I never really bothered. I'm, I, <laughs> I, I don't want to be nasty about it but I,
1: I'm quite strong willed in terms of what I think's the right thing my my career at Falkirk had, had run its course in terms of I loved my time there I come from Falkirk and I, I went and watched Falkirk when I was younger I was always a Rangers supporter, but I used to always go and watch Falkirk but when John Lambie came in and Eamon Bannon came in you know no disrespect to them but I knew my time was up and I knew I had to move on and I just had to I just had to further my career and I knew I wasn't going to do that at Falkirk so it wasn't it wasn't emotional, it was just a professional, I knew I had to go and move and, and try and um, get up the ladder a little bit.
2: With your time at Hearts, you are involved in a, an infamous game at Ibrox when yourself and three others were sent off. Yeah. Uh, what happened there? I,
1: I'm not really sure, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, being on the other side of that where you say Rangers got all the decisions then, <laughs> maybe, it was, maybe it was one of them where the, the referee was maybe a wee bit unfair, but it was just one of those days when everything went wrong and you know, one, two, three and then four players get sent off. It's just a a a once-in-a-lifetime experience and I think the game ended 3 or 4 nil, and Rangers took their foot off the gas just to actually stop it being embarrassing. But... It wasn't a great experience and you know it's it's always difficult to go to Ibrox at any time but to go with seven men might be pushing <laughs> a wee bit. And so what was Jim like
0: in the dressing room after that game? Oh, he's probably blaming the
1: referee I hope.
2: <laughs> 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 to contrast that, you were part of the Hearts team that went on to lift the Scottish Cup in 1998. Uh, what were your memories of that run, especially the semi-final? And did, was there a strange feeling coming up against Falkirk?
1: It was strange. My, my memories of Hearts was very similar to Falkirk. You, you're going into a dressing room with young lads, you know, it was Neil McCann, Colin Cameron, Gary Naismith, Gary Locke, all people who were um, on their way up in their career, good fun and um, really enjoyed my football. Jim's environments were always good, it was always competitive, it was always, it always mattered, it was always um, incentive based, you know, it was a really good environment to work in and I loved every minute of it. I I still lived in Falkirk and, you know, would travel through and get the train, Stevie Fulton, travel with him quite a bit Mm. and um, I loved my time there and Again, it was a progression for me. It was hearts, no matter what you know you say, as a Falkirk fan were I perceived as a bigger club yeah, and there was club, yeah. there was a, a chance of getting international honours. You were involved in cups and your, the expectations were slightly higher. So mm-hmm. it was a step up in my career and it was something I needed and probably should have happened maybe a year or two earlier on. Um, but the cup semi-final was crazy because Falkirk played really well. Kevin McAllister was out of this world he, he destroyed Gary Naismith who <laughs> was a, a very good young player at the time but Kevin was just on one that game and we were very lucky to win the game Neil McCann scored a late goal Neil McCann you know was a very very good player but he was in Kevin McAllister's shadow that game because Kevin just took the game by the scruff of the neck and deserved to be on the winning side but we managed to scrape through and it was it was a really weird experience for me it was only wasn't that long after I'd left I was actually and again, correct me if I'm wrong. The Falkirk Cup final was that the against Kilmarnock When was that? Was the that the year, year before? The before the yeah, the year before. So I'd, and that's what was thought because I went to the game, with a, on a bus we Shieldhill with my friends' pub. So I'm at the game, the Falkirk Kilmarnock game, supporting Falkirk the season before, and then the season after, I'm playing in a game, at the same stadium, trying to beat them. <laughs> so it's like that's kind of how football works. It just it goes in mysterious ways so it was the dynamic was crazy and I was a captain that day as well because mm-hmm. Stevie Fulton I'm sure was suspended or injured or something so I was a captain so captain Hearts against Falkirk in the semi-final having kind of played for Falkirk been supporting Falkirk and then all of a sudden you try to beat them to stop them getting to the final so it was a really weird dynamic it was just a great uh, relief for me personally to go through but if I'm being honest we probably didn't deserve it on the day
0: So while at Hearts, you also got your call up to the Scotland squad. So tell us how that came about in your your debut for Scotland.
1: Well, it was a funny story that as well. Like I actually got the phone call. You probably heard on some of the other podcasts, the very famous trips at the end of the season. You'd always go to Magaluf. Seemed to be if you have a good season or or whatever, the the bonus or the reward or the incentive was, the club will pay for a trip to Magaluf. So I was on the bus with all the Hearts boys. We were going, I think we're driving to Newcastle to get a plane to Magaloo for the end of the season trip and I and there's a phone call and the bus driver said there's a phone call for you so the phone must have been in the bus because nobody had mobiles at the time. The phone must have been in the bus says there's a phone call for you. And I'm like, There's a phone call for me. <laughs> and it was um it was Craig Brown who says, I've I've decided to call and I think somebody's winding me up. There's I've decided to call you up to the Scotland Scott said, Where are you? And I and like i am naive, I'm like, I'm I'm just on the bus, I'm just going to he says, but I'll come back obviously I'll come back I want to come I want to come he says no go and have a couple I says how long are you away for I said a week he said I says but I'll come back he says no go and have a couple of days and then come back and we meet up on whenever it was so just come and meet us then so I was like okay so I went and had a couple of days I flew back and then I met up with the the Scotland squad after that and that's 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 how it happened you know you wouldn't believe that these days but that was the situation
0: yeah and can you remember much about your debut
1: yeah my debut was at Kilmarnock it was against Wales and it was an end of season game really and um, it was up against John Hartson John Hartson scored Wales won one 0 and um, but I, I couldn't believe my luck I was playing for Scotland I was I was so naive and so like lucky to get that opportunity at that stage but um, I loved it and you know that Scotland team was full of great players and players who were going on to play in World Cups and Euros and um, that was the norm at the time was you expected to be successful, you expected to be at these tournaments, and I was, um, I was part of that, and you go away and you're in the hotel with the McCoy's and the Durant's and John Collins, Gary McAllister, people like that, and people you've been watching on telly, you know, only weeks, days before, and all of a sudden you're right in amongst it, and it was good fun, you, you know, as I said, folk and Hearts were good fun in terms of going to work, but now all of a sudden you're going away to these places, you're in a hotel for seven, ten days and it's exactly the same you're training you're coming back to the hotel you're eating well you're having a laugh with your mates you're watching films with your mates you're, um, you're having just the time of your life
0: So you were also in the Scotland squad for France 98 that's something that most football players dream of of going to a World Cup so what was yeah. your experience of that?
1: I'd only made my debut about a year before so I kind of jumped on the back of it and I remember being on the bench and a lot of the qualifiers leading up to it um, I think Hamden was getting redeveloped, so the games were at Celtic Park and Ibrox and all around the country really, and and not really playing much, but being in the squads, Craig was very, Craig Brown was very respectful of seniority and lads who had done well, and waiting your time. You had to turn up for squad after squad, and maybe you'd get five minutes here and there, or you might get a start in a friendly, or you might get a game in the at the end of the season on a trip, and but you had to wait your time. He was very loyal, and you know he got a lot of criticism, but again with hindsight. his his success was incredible based on the way he did things and the respect he treated people with so um, I was part of that and just loved turning up as I said and just loved turning up and being part of it and waiting for the opportunity and then got selected for the Scotland squad and went to the World Cup which was 20 years ago now and unfortunately we've no been back since and um, again a great experience managed to play in it wasn't expecting to play in it gone as a squad player and Colin Calderwood hurt his arm broke his wrist or did something in the game against Norway and Craig Brown sent me and Matt Elliott to warm up so both of us are warming up and both looking at each other going well it's, it's either you or me so who's going to go on Unfortunately fortunately for me Craig put me on and I, <laughs> and I managed to play.
0: You went on to get 69 Scotland caps but there was a brief spell where you retired uh, under Betty Volks what was the reason behind that?
1: it wasn't a nice thing to do I've got to be honest and it's like I had a great career and you know there's no many things I would change about it but that was probably one I played like I played from a local team I played for the club I supported I played in England for Everton which is an an unbelievable club and had a lot of caps for my country but it's never nice no playing for your country or declining the opportunity to play for your country but I just really wasn't enjoying it and I'd, I'd turned up you know through thick and thin you don't Caps aren't easy to come by and back in those days they were even harder to come by. It was hard to get in the squad and um, there was less games and the majority of caps, not the majority, but a lot of your caps would be in the season. So I, I went to Hong Kong, South Korea, travelled all over the world and sometimes you didn't play and you make a big commitment mm. to go and play with Scotland, although you love it and it's it's definitely more than worth it. But I had a young family, I had four kids and I was turning up now. I, I really wasn't enjoying it, wasn't it? I just got the impression the manager wasn't really enjoying me either. And it was, it was a wee bit mutual. So I just felt it was in everybody's interest that, you know, the time I had that it was probably best spent somewhere else. And it wasn't nice and I didn't enjoy doing it. And I definitely regret it. But at the time, I thought
2: it was the right thing to do. You're listening to Walking Down Hope Street with special guest David Dweer. In 1999, you moved to Everton in a quarter of a million pound move. How big a step up was that from Hearts playing in the Premier League? It was
1: a step up, definitely. And again, as I said, when I left Falkirk, and when I left Falkirk, it was probably a year or two too late. Mm -hmm. So my contract at Hearts was running down, and I was 28 at the time, I think, 27, 28. So I was a bit older. So I knew my time of playing in England, it was kind of running out in terms of having that opportunity so I was letting my contract run down because I wanted to go to England again I knew I'm quite stubborn that way when I know I want something I just kind of and Jim was the manager so you can imagine it wasn't easy but I just made my mind up I wanted to go so Everton made a bid and Jim as usual would probably be negotiating to try and get a better deal and I I just wanted to go so I went and met Walter and I basically said I'm coming and I was in the car with Walter and Jim phoned me and says where are you says I'm I'm going to Liverpool. He says, we've not agreed a fee. We've not agreed you can go. I says, well, you better agree a fee because I'm, go- I'm going. I just made my mind up. I just wanted to go and I wanted to go and play in England and you know, I couldn't have thanked Jim enough for what he'd done for me in my career, but mm-hmm. I just knew it was the right time to leave and um, the Hearts team had changed a wee bit. We had a great time, a really successful team, but the dynamics of the team had changed a wee bit and I could just tell that it was breaking up. My group was kind of breaking up and it was time to move on and yeah. it was a a club like Everton, which was a you know, a real historic club in England, playing yeah. under Walter Smith, who was a, a manager I knew and admired. It was, just, it was just too good an opportunity to pass me by.
2: You went on to have a successful career at Everton, 269 appearances playing European football and being named club captain under two managers, Walter Smith and David Moyes. What were your other highlights of your time at Goodison? It genuinely was. Every
1: game was a highlight. You're going down the Premier League and, as I said, before you play... When you're playing against these teams in Scotland, the Loudrops and the Gascoins and people like that, you're you really it really doesn't sink in. And then all of a sudden you're going down, you're at Old Trafford, you're at White Hart Lane, you're at Highbury as it was at the time and you're playing against Thierry Henry, Van Nistelrooy, Ronaldo. You're just playing against and with players who you've only really seen on the TV. So it's such a buzz to go and be involved in that. And I was genuinely, um, I was a wee bit older, so I probably appreciated it more and you're getting well paid and you're, you're playing in these kind of games, and you just you just want more and more of it.
0: So as a centre half, you obviously came up against some of the best football players in the world: Van der Henri, Cristiano Ronaldo, David yeah. Beckham. So who was the best player that you came up against?
1: That's always the question people ask you, you know, and it's a really it's a really difficult question to answer because they always ask you the best player you've played with and the best player you've played against, and it's a direct opponent. I would probably say Alan Shearer was the most difficult because he could do about everything, he could run, he could fight, he could head it, he could score his left, he could score off his right, so he'd love to fight or he could be cleverer than you, so he had like all the attributes, so as a direct opponent he was probably the best, he could score, you know, with any part of his body and fit any area of the pitch, so he was a real handful and he probably wasn't playing the best team either, which isn't always easy, and then played against some other players like Zidane for example and people like that and although you're not directly up against them but you can just see how good they are Messi and Ronaldo so I've been really really lucky in terms of some of the players I've played against and been on the same pitch against but as a direct opponent I'd probably have to say Alan Shearer as as being somebody who you know pound for pound in terms of what he was doing and and how regularly he did it then I
2: think he was probably the best Did you happen to play in the 125th anniversary game against Falkirk for Everton. Yeah, uh, Brockville. That would have been yeah. your last game at Brockville. Yeah, it probably was. Yeah, I did. I played in that game. I remember that. Yeah. I uh, that'd have been a bit of a surreal experience it for was, Everton, yeah. Everton I, I, players as well.
1: So when <laughs> would that have been? 2000. Uh, 2002. 2002. Yeah. So I was. I went to Everton in '99. Yeah. So it'd been relatively early in my Everton career, yeah, but I can, I can remember coming back up for that, yeah.
0: Ah. Getting any stick from the Falkirk fans when you did? Probably. Um, <laughs> More than likely, eh? Probably Everton fans as well. <laughs> so in
2: 2007, you're heading back to Scotland, this time with Rangers, and to be re- reunited with Walter Smith. So how did that come about? Uh, my Everton career, again, I'd probably
1: stayed at Everton maybe a year too long. I was, I'd been there seven, eight years, and I was playing less, which was... Didn't suit me at all. I wasn't a player who was happy not playing. Mm-hmm. So I could, um, David Moyes kept signing centre-backs and I kept having to fight them off year after year and eventually just got to the stage where the centre-backs were getting better and I was probably getting worse. So um, it just got to the stage where the fight probably wasn't the one I was winning. It was Julian Lescott and Phil Jagielka and people like that that were eventually coming in. So um, I had opportunities to leave probably the two years before and there was nothing came up good clubs and clubs offering me uh, longer contracts and um, more money but I didn't really want to leave Everton unless it was something that I really fancied and David Moyes was happy to keep me there he says you can stay here as long as you want you can keep signing contracts he kept reducing the wages right enough but he kept giving me contracts so nothing really appealed to me and as I said I wasn't getting kicked out the door so I was quite happy to stay there and then if Walter Smith called me up and said look I'm going back into Rangers I'd like you to come up would you be interested? And I was like, I would, yeah, a hundred percent. So it was it was pretty much like that. It was a phone call, Walter had been Walter, it was very casual, it was very I can remember where we were, we were just at home. I was sitting on the couch, I got a phone call, I was like, Do you want I'm going the Rangers, do you want to come up and join me? And I was like, Yeah, I'd like to do that and pretty much the next day I was driving up went and see the train the Everton training ground Belfield the next day. David Moyes obviously knew about it and he was saying, What do you think? Say I want to go and says, No problem. You go with our best wishes and then get your boots and that was pretty nice. it. that was no. pretty much it.
0: So if we focus on a couple of big games that when you were involved in Rangers so firstly the UEFA Cup final tell us about that experience It was a massive anticlimax to be honest the, that season for us was incredible we played
1: I think it was 68 games or something like that I'd played in 63 or 64 or something like that so you were running on empty and we were travelling on a Thursday playing on a Sunday playing again you know if it, if it was a Cup game maybe a Tuesday if it was a European game maybe a Thursday and It just felt like you were on a treadmill and then we got towards the end of the season we were still involved in the league. We'd already won the League Cup, I think. We are still in the Scottish Cup and we were going for the UEFA Cup. So there was so much going on and Celtic were a good team then as well. Celtic were in around the the Champions League as it it was at the time and we're going for the league with them and it's just relentless. So by the time the UEFA Cup came round and we'd won all our games over two legs and invariably we'd either draw nil-nil at home or... 1-0, one nil, we'd win or we'd kind of squeeze through. We never won games easily. We never won games by large margins. It was it was very tight and you just got caught up in that environment where every game was a do or die. You know, you had to win every game. You just got on that treadmill. But you used to always get through. And all of a sudden you got to the UEFA Cup final. It was a one-off against a really good team. It was Zenit against Bayern Munich was the other semi-final. So you knew you were going to play a good team. We beat Fiorentina on penalties and um, Zenit beat Bayern Munich, so that tells you how good they were. Mm. And we turn up for the final, a one off occasion in Manchester, which again is unusual, which was like 10 minutes from my door where I <laughs> lived at the time. So it was a really surreal experience. And on the day, we just weren't good enough. They were better than us. We we probably played as we'd normally play, trying to get a result that would help us in the second leg and <laughs> <laughs> without really realising it was a one off. And um, lots of regrets because it's a great opportunity, probably to be. The most successful Rangers team in history. If we'd won the league, won the UEFA Cup, and won the two cups, it would have been unprecedented. So it was very, a very fine line between being very, very successful or how we felt at the time losing that game and then not winning the league, being, being failures.
0: Another game we wanted to focus on was the the 2009 Scottish Cup final, which obviously uh, Falkirk fans will remember. Did you have any sympathy for for Falkirk that day? No, not
1: really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh,
0: I remember. Falkirk were better than
1: us in the game and I remember it being very very hot in the game and my my overriding memory is coming off at half time and Chris Boyd saying it's too hot for football far too hot for <laughs> football he said that as he was walking in the tunnel and Walter Smith saying you're right Do you come off but unfortunately for Falkirk he put Nacho on so Nacho was on the park about two minutes and he scored an unbelievable goal from a throw in which was like typical Nacho just something from Nothing, Nothing no something we'd worked on, no something would um Koisty probably says we did work on it, but we never worked on it and he scored an unbelievable goal and you know that, that won as a cup, but it was we're really, really lucky to win the game and that you know, unfortunately for Falkirk, that seemed to be the, the kinda track record in cup finals
2: that playing well but, but not
1: actually come back with the trophy.
2: So you went on to spend almost five seasons at Rangers at a time of your career when most others would have probably hung up their boots. Mm-hmm. You also managed to play international football at the age of 40, and you're in the top five oldest players to play Champions League football. So what's the secret to the longevity? I needs the money. <laughs> <laughs> and just having a good
1: manager, or a manager that trusted you, he obviously is a very good manager, but just having the confidence for a manager that did not take age into consideration, he just... He structured a team that helped me, he obviously saw my attributes and, and he gave a, me players around about me who helped probably me to, to utilise my attributes and, and help them utilise their attributes but that was the biggest thing, just having the trust of the manager and you know, sometimes I think we as, and I consider myself a coach, coach, you worry about people being too old or too young whereas in reality it's just about having the relationship with the player and knowing what you're going to get and the player also having that trust in the manager that you know, he believes in you, and I, I certainly heard that with Walter, and he just gave me the, the opportunity to go and play, and I took it personally to try and um, do the best I could for him.
2: So did he, like, tailor a different training regime for you as well, or were you just doing everyth- no, everything No, he did. No, he did, would. and he,
1: he always tried to look after me. He'd say, I was still living, as I did the whole time, I still lived in Manchester, so my family, as I said, I've, I've got four kids, so they were in Manchester with my wife, and... He would always say, "Just go home after the game. Come back Thursday," and I'd be like, "I, I don't want to do that. I'm, I like because I like training first of all, and and I enjoy training. And, and I I think a, a lot of mis- a mistake a lot of older players make is they train less. Mm. I actually train more. I enjoy training. Right. Okay. And I uh, I felt like you had to work maybe more specifically, but you had to keep yourself fit. As, as soon as you detrained, you were you were losing your muscle and you're losing your strength. And mm. I was going to say lose your pace, but that was never really a problem. <laughs> so you kind of, I would come back up and I I just felt the boys, I was a captain a lot of the time as well and I felt if I wasn't there it wasn't right so Mm. I might get the odd day here and there where I'd go home but I'd always get back up and I'd always train and I'd always try and work hard and set an example to the rest of the lads so he gave me that opportunity undoubtedly and as I said earlier he gave you the trust to do what you want but the way I was I'd rather train, I'd rather work and um,
2: I wanted to prove that was still capable of doing it. When Ali McCoy took over, your playing days at Rangers appeared to be over. So uh-huh. do you hold him responsible? <laughs>
1: no, not re- to be honest, I started that season. We we were, I mean, that was the season It all went wrong for Rangers and I started the season as the captain. We played in um, Champions League qualifiers, if I'm right, and I got injured in the Champions League qualifier. I think it was against Molda. I tore my hamstring at Ibrox and that put me out for a significant period of time. And then in that period, Rangers went out of the Europa, I think. Mm. I think it was Maribor, if I'm right. It were, was were still relatively successful in the league, but I wasn't playing. And the manager, because I was out for a significant period of time, he brought other players in, Bocanegra and um, Goyan. And my time had kind of come to an end and I kind of felt that. Like when Walter left and we won the league that day at Kilmarnock, it was kind of end of an era for Walter. And I... Like, I didn't want to walk away. I didn't want to, I never really want to leave Rangers at any time because I was enjoying it so much. But with hindsight, that was probably the time I should have left. Mm-hmm. So then I, I felt like I was kind of on borrowed time that that last evening after I got injured. And in January, I just remember going up to manager's office and saying, look, or it was actually before January, it might be December, and going up and saying, look, this isn't working. I don't want to leave at the end of, the window and no give you time to get a replacement. So I think it's best we just shake hands. I I'm not looking, you know, for getting my contractor in. I just, want, <laughs> I'm just going to walk away. I think it's the right thing to do. So um, we just basically shook hands and I left and I, I went back home and decided to see what was next.
0: So next up for you was coaching. Was that something you always wanted to get into? And there was also a wee rumour that you had uh, got interviewed for the Everton job before for Roberto Martinez. Is that- um,
1: it was something I wanted to go in. I was doing my coaching badges, I was doing my pro licence, I'd done my A and my B, and I'd done, always had an interest in football, and um, I went back to Everton after I left Rangers. David Moyes had always said to me, when you finish playing, they called me at the end of every season, and said, are you finished yet? Because <laughs> I'd, I'd like you to come back, and coach the reserves of the 23s it was at the time, and I just kept getting another year, and playing another year. So that was always an option for me. So eventually when I did leave Rangers, um, David Moyes gave me the opportunity to go back and coach, so I we went and coached the under twenty-three as well, in Stubbs and and I really enjoyed that. And as you think at the time, you think you are ready for management, you think you are ready for the next time. And um, when David Moyes left, which was a couple of years later, and um, Bill Kenwright, the owner, interviewed a few people. So there was myself, Alan, I think Phil Neville was there at the time, um, maybe a couple of others that were in and around the club, just to give them, you know, the opportunity really. So I I thought I was probably ready hindsight I would be nowhere near it to be honest to manager a club like Everton at the time but I did yeah I did I, I went and spoke to Bill went to London spoke to him and it was a great experience just to go through that process
2: and then you eventually got your managerial break with uh, Sheffield United yeah. at Bramall Lane it didn't really go to plan do you have an idea of what went wrong Um
1: n- I've not really got an idea I mean obviously certain things and it's really difficult being a football manager And you know, that's the biggest thing that that I would say and you, you go in with your own ideas and you go and try to do your own thing but you don't get the luxury of having time and I was probably trying to change too much too quickly and it was quite ideological in terms of what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it and mm. Sheffield United is a very particular type of club and you can see where they are now and what, what they utilise to get them where they are and that fits yeah. the club and I probably got that wrong if I'm being honest in terms of what I was trying to do and how it fitted with the club so um probably made a few mistakes probably was a wee bit inexperienced and... Um, didn't get a lot of time either which would probably be my defence but great experience and I wouldn't have changed it, I enjoyed it and um, it was a real challenge and it, it made me realise how um, what being a manager really is and to be a successful manager how difficult it is and great respect to, to guys who do it year on year and stay in a job and, and make teams better.
2: You then teamed up with Mark Warburton at Brentford after the departure of former Baron and Alan Kernahan. Did you feel that the assistant role was a better fit for you? At the time, I thought it was a great opportunity for me. I, I didn't really know Mark at the time and
1: just through a mutual friend who recommended me, I went and spoke to him and he said he was getting the Brentford job and he'd like me to come and work with him and where I was at the time, I, I needed to work and I wanted to work and it was a good challenge and it was a wee bit of the firing line, it wasn't the manager which obviously was still kind of hurting for the previous one. So Mark had seen my teams play at Sheffield United the way we tried to play and he was of a similar mind in terms of how he wanted to play. So um, I went in there relatively quickly after leaving Sheffield and it was a wee bit of a a recovery period for me. I went back, I was assistant manager. I really enjoyed, we signed some great players. We we brought in people like Andre Gray and Alex Pritchard, Moses Odebejo, James Tarkovsky, you know, some real... Like we unhearthed some diamonds and it was a great period at the club. It was, we went, we got promoted for league one. We won, we were second in the league to Wolves, a really good Wolves team. Yeah. The next season we got in the playoffs in the championship where we played Middlesbrough in the semi-finals. and t- to be fair, they beat us comfortably in the semi-finals. But we had a great season and beat some great teams. And it was, I really started enjoying the coaching side of it again and enjoyed working with Mark and enjoyed the football we were playing. So it was a really enjoyable period of my, my coaching career.
2: In uh, 2014, there was a rumour that you might have been interested in the Falkirk job before Peter Houston was appointed. Is there any truth in that? No, I mean, I've spoken to
1: Falkirk and people around Falkirk on different occasions about potentially coming and working at Falkirk, but never really to that degree, to be honest. So I'm not sure of the dates or who you who you might have been speaking to He told you that. but can't reveal yeah. my sources. <laughs>
0: You were, however, back in the dugout in the Falkirk Stadium, albeit in the away dugout with Rangers, quite a few tasty games between the clubs and the Championship, so what were your reflections at that time? Just exactly
1: what you said, I think, that season for us, we're, Rangers, we're you know we had to get promoted, that was that was a remit at Rangers, there's no getting away from that, and I knew that more than anyone, and Falkirk were very competitive, as Hibs were, so it was a tough league. We as Rangers were had Rangers' expectations, but we probably didn't have Rangers players in terms of what's expected and how you've got to play and the results you've got to get. So it was a really, really difficult season and Falkirk was always, I mean, it always has been a difficult place to go and get results and um, whether it was at Ibrox or at the Falkirk Stadium, it was was a difficult game. You had to battle to get results and they were tasty and they were. You know, (laughs) tempers got raised and words got said. but that's how it should be and, you know, that's the nature of football and, you know, the Falkirk fans are never shy and telling you what they think and that's always been the case I can always remember my dad back in the day saying the Falkirk fans are oh they're the worst fans ever they have so much stick he would probably have been a Rangers fan going to those games and said you know they'd moan at Rangers the moan at Celtic they're never, never happy with Andy and, and it's a really competitive environment Falkirk it's a really difficult place to play and it's a really difficult team to play against and you know that reflected that because we had a really tough season that season and Falkirk you know beat us on occasion and, and made it really difficult for every game
0: we played You then had a brief spell at Nottingham Forest and you're, you're now at Brighton, as you said, at the top of the show. Please tell us you weren't the guy who sent us Tom Dallison.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that was before my time, to be honest. But I've got a few players now that if you're interested, I could have like try Yeah, well, I think you should
0: give, it, give the club a phone. So before we ask for your first on the team sheet, we should also mention that your son Jensen is in the, the family business, a young player at Wigan. I think your other son, as you said, at the top of the show, is out in the, the States playing football. So I think Jensen's... Represented Scotland at sixteens and seventeens and also England at seventeens. Mm-hmm. So he got a big decision to make about his, his life. He's, he's not
1: really got a big decision. To be honest, he's he's enjoying his football and he's obviously my son and I played for Scotland and I'm Scottish. <laughs> Jensen and all my kids were born in England and you know, there's a slightly different dynamic. They they've got such an allegiance to Scotland. My daughter's actually in a Scotland camp right now. She's fifteen, so she's she also plays. It's only my youngest son who probably um isn't he as football oriented the yes, other we are so they'll make their own decisions and when you're 16, 17 you've got a lot of mileage ahead of you and I think it's it's difficult to nail your colours to the you at that age and he'll make his own decision in the right time and I just want to I just want him to have all the experiences he can and test himself push himself and, and then when the time's right he can he can make a decision if asked to you know what country or what club or or who he wants to play for, but he's enjoying it at the minute, and that's the biggest thing for me genuinely, as Moulders' sons in America, he's been over there for almost a year now, he's playing football, studying, and he's enjoying it, and as I said, my daughter's playing, she loves it as well, she plays for Everton, and um, she's kind of making her way in the game as well, so they're all involved, or you know, three quarters of them are involved in football, sort of most weeks, so um, I'm happy with that, and you know, where they end up, time will tell.
2: Do you think Jensen
1: would fancy a loan spell at Falkirk? <laughs> he probably would, to be honest. He could come up and stay with his granny; would be quite happy.
2: I notice you're also associated with the Falkirk Community Foundation. Uh, is it something you've still got active involvement with?
1: I've, I've, I wouldn't say I've got a lot of active involvement in it, if I'm being honest. I was actually up at the stadium during the summer, was asked to come up and do... There was a kind of, McDonald's. Thing, yeah, a yeah, McDonald's event, and I really enjoyed it, and... I don't think there's any secret Falkirk have lost a bit of engagement with the community in terms of the academy and a lot of things going on and um, I think that's really important for Falkirk moving forward that they get that balance back they get the town behind them they get the local community behind them and I think every football club relies on that I was was lucky to be at clubs like Everton we have got an unbelievable relationship with the local community and the things they do charitable and off the field you know there's no the bonds you build and the, the things you do there are Priceless in terms of your football club and what they give to the community and the stories that you see and the, and the the good things that they do. So I think it's really important Falkirk moving forward, re-establish that and get the best out of that. And that'll definitely, you know, where Falkirk are and the, the structure's not good enough, but I think the off the field part of that's a big part of it as well.
0: David, as we end the show, we always ask our guests for their first on the team sheet. That's the Falkirk player they enjoy playing alongside the most during their spell. Who would it be for you and why? I enjoyed 90% of the time I'd say at Falkirk. Probably towards the end, I didn't enjoy it as
1: much, but probably partly that was me. I was I was ready to move on. I probably should have moved earlier, but if I, was, if I had to pick one player, um, I was going to say it would be difficult. wouldn't it really be difficult. It'd be Yogi, I think. Jim Jeffries said the same, I listened to his podcast and I managed to get a a joint first with Yogi, which I was really proud of. But he was, Yogi was an inspiration, he really was, he was the best captain I've ever played with. And I've um, played with some good captains and some good players, but he was just a different level, he genuinely um, cared about what he did. He had real strong belief in, in looking after his teammates, he was a great captain, he cared, and he was a real sort of typical old school leader in terms of he took it personally and he he had good values in terms of what he wanted. He he knew the right time to have a joke and you know nobody enjoyed having a laugh and a joke more than than Yogi but when it was serious he's, he's the one guy you'd want to have on your team. If I was to pick one person on my team or playing alongside if you've you know you've got to win a game he'd be the guy I'd pick.
0: David, thanks for taking the time to chat to us here at Walking Down Hope Street. It's been great hearing stories from your time at Falkirk and the rest of your career. I think many Falkirk fans have taken a great deal of pride in your achievements as a local lad, but also that Falkirk featured so prominently in your development. Maybe one day we'll see you back in the Falkirk dugout, perhaps the home one this time thanks also to the listeners for joining us remember you can keep up to date with all the walking down hope street news on our twitter page at wdh street or via our facebook page remember if you'd be interested in sponsoring our upcoming shows then please do get in touch via our social media channels you've been listening to walking down hope street in association with gm productions we'll be back in a few weeks with another expert till then bye for now